0: Welcome to episode number 74 of the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. Today, we've got Mina Morris joining us as our guest in this special episode to wrap up our last three mini series on the future skills of financial acumen, business acumen, and data literacy. Mina is partner human capital solutions at Aon, and has a wide range of experience in talent management, assessment, analytics, and corporate training. Thank you so much for sharing your talents and insights with us today, Mina.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Andy. It's a pleasure.
0: Well, you're, you're joining us uh, from, from, uh, from New York out there, and uh, we're, we're here in Wisconsin. It's a cold and kind of dreary day here. What's the weather like for you?
1: Yeah, it's about the same, maybe not as cold, but we had a kind of a cold snap during the holiday period here, so it's uh, it's nice to be on the other side of that.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, it is. So, Mina, before we get started, I ask this question of all our guests. It would be great if you told our listeners your story.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. So, um, as you mentioned in the introduction, I'm a, a partner with Aon's Human Capital Solutions Practice. Um, I work with clients to implement um, large sort of workforce transformation programs focused on talent. So really that involves thinking about how to identify, measure, assess talent, develop leaders, and really kind of think about setting up the infrastructure around jobs and how that could translate, you know, sort of a business strategy into an effective um, HR strategy. Um, if I sort of step back, my background has been in organisational psychology, um, so that's centred around the science of people at work. And you could probably tell by my accent, I'm not originally from the US. I'm uh, I grew up in New Zealand, and um, actually, my family, my parents, immigrated to to New Zealand from Egypt. So I was a first generation um, immigrant in New Zealand, and that really kind of kind of sparked that piece around trying to understand people better. I was sort of growing up in an Eastern culture, in a Western country, and, and and that sort of, like at an early age, just got me interested in what makes people tick and really kind of got me interested in, in that space. And then when it came time to sort of pick a pick a career, I sort of then kind of went back to that angle around sort of people and science and human capital. So I spent a bit of time working in New Zealand, then my career has sort of taken me to um, working in asia and the middle east for a while and now I'm in north america
0: uh, what what a path uh, what a path that is uh, very, very impressive. I, I after the show, I want to pick your brain. I'm uh, I'm going to be recording my Saturday morning muse right after this, and uh, we're going to be talking about kind of beginning of year uh, biases in uh, yeah. in leaders and how uh, how they they you know think that everything is going to be a lot better than the run rate that they just experienced in the fourth quarter. That somehow things are going to miraculously uh, be you know be on, be on a hockey stick, so we'll 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 chat about that later. Um, sure. If if you had to pick one event in your life that was just put rocket boosters uh, behind your career, what would that event be?
1: Yeah, so I think from uh, from the perspective of the experiences I've had, I've been very lucky to have a number of you know amazing career experiences that have helped sort of elevate my career growth and, and, and learning. But I think one that stands out is my first. Role out of college where I worked for, you know, a boutique consulting firm in New Zealand, and I'll give um, you know the founder a shout out. His name was Dave Winsborough, and Dave really mentored me around the idea of you know the the soft skills or the behavioural skills that you need to be successful at work. And you know, when you when you leave college, you have this amazing kind of uh, portfolio of technical skills that you feel you know the world is ready to to to, to see and experience, and. They've really helped me think about, you know, how to communicate better at work, how to really think about delivering your message with clarity, how to be more pragmatic and practical. And so that experience is something that I've kind of remembered for the rest of my career is it's is, is not just about, you know, what you do, it's about how you do it as well.
0: Well, that's that's a that's a fantastic lesson uh, for our, our listeners. Now, before we uh, get into the 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 our wrap up of uh, of these uh, these these skills that we're talking about today, I would venture to guess that many of our listeners are unaware that Aon is in the assessment business as you know the main brand screams insurance. Uh, can you spend just a few moments updating us on what Aon does for corporations around the world, and what the flagship product is really is?
1: Yeah, so yeah, you're right. I think most people would associate the Aon brand with maybe uh, risk or uh, insurance products, but actually, you know, Aon is a is a twelve billion dollar um, company that has a portfolio of different solutions, and it's all under the umbrella of. Helping clients empower results, so there is a there's a risk element to that. There's a there's kind of a health and well being element to that. There's helping organisations think about their wealth solutions, and then there's the piece that you know my team and uh, is focused on, which is around human capital solutions and really thinking about the HR pieces of the of the puzzle. Um, and the you know kind of the link there is if you think about the risks that organisations are facing, and you, you know, we kind of do these annual surveys, and quite often. You'll see sort of top ten risks highlighted by an organisation, and, and seven or eight out of those risks would actually be people-centred risks. Mm. So if you think about things like cyber security, for example, at the heart of it is actually a, you know a people challenge or a people issue. Um, so we find that those services are sort of interrelated when we when we when we speak to clients, and so within within the the, the human capital business you know, we, we, we sort of think about helping clients um, through data and advice, think about um, ways in which they can better deliver their business strategy and minimize risk. And to your question maybe about flagship product, you know, one 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 piece of the puzzle, if you like, is um, a personality assessment tool that we use with clients called ADEPT15. And that helps us understand, you know, personality traits at work and help clients see, data and help individuals sort of get data on themselves to better understand how they how they work within a, a work environment.
0: Well, th- thank, you for, uh, thank you for that update. Uh, Adept 15, what's the closest competitor to that? Uh, just for, for our listeners to kind of triangulate.
1: Yeah, I mean, if listeners are familiar with um, measurements of the big five personality model Uh, And there are a number of tools on the market that, that, you know, center around that model. Um, You know, ADEP15 is similar in that regard. Is that that based on the, you know, kind of the research that identifies big personality traits at work and then looks to sort of um, report out on dimensions related to that?
0: Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Uh, In my first book, Balancing Act, uh, I list these four skills as essential tools for all work place participants in the future. They are human skill, which is a portfolio of emotional intelligence, communication, all manner of uh, things that make us who we are. Uh, And uh, the second is financial acumen. The third is business acumen. And the fourth is data literacy. And we've had many series on financial acumen, business acumen, and data literacy over the last few months. If you had to rank them, in order of importance from your vantage point, uh, what order would you put them in?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a slightly sort of tricky question because I think (laughs) all of them are quite important. Um, I would say, you know, what you've described under the umbrella of sort of human skills, I I think that kind of tends to apply in most roles in most environments, that there's an element of thinking about you know, what we would call maybe core competencies or core skills that are just how we relate to each other as humans, how we sort of work together, communicate, um, collaborate. So I think that sort of umbrella is definitely um, prominent in most jobs and in most environments. Then it becomes a matter of sort of thinking more about um, the specific role and that specific environment, what's important. So for example, if you have a role that's more oriented towards problem solving with business information, then obviously, you know, your, your, um, business acumen, you know, skills or competencies might, might be more important. If you have something that's leaning a bit more towards the financial side, then maybe that's a bit more important. So it just probably depends a bit more on the sort of the context with probably that human skills umbrella on top.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Mina, we're, we're going to uh, take advantage of, your expertise in the assessment world. Uh, in in our previous mini series, each of our uh, previous guests have stressed the importance of experiential learning and assessment uh, to gauge the installation of these skills. But we really haven't uh, uh, dived in on the assessment side. Let let's start with financial acumen. Can you advise our listeners on the best way to assess the acquisition of financial literacy and acumen within teams?
1: Yeah, sure. And, and and maybe before we dive into that, Andy, maybe just um, kind of maybe just taking a slight step back and just thinking about why, you know, why it's important to sort of assess or understand a level of skill. And, you know, I think for most people, why that's important is to sort of meet them where they are. So in other words, if you understand, you know, the baseline of where someone is today um, and assess that, then it helps you provide you know, more relevant feedback, more relevant um, interventions or training, uh, and more relevant support to help them sort of nurture and develop that skill. So that's why I think you know that that piece around assessment is is interesting because it helps you know baseline um, you know teams and, and individuals within organisations. Um, now, thinking specifically about you know financial acumen, um, you know this you know the way I probably think about it is is there's sort of two different aspects there one aspect is working with numbers of financial information. And then the second aspect is probably more generally the ability to problem solve. So if we take the first aspect first, which, which is thinking about, you know, how to assess or understand the baseline that someone has working with numbers of financial information. um, The easiest way I can kind of probably relate to this is, you know, if you give someone a sample of a problem that they need to solve for and Check on the level of how they do that that allows you to sort of correct or understand that level so in other words we call them job sample tests but it's basically this idea of you take a small sample of the financial problems or um, elements that that are required so for example reading a balance sheet or analyzing a pnl statement or even more fundamentally just sort of working with numbers and you give someone a sample of that problem and um in most instances, you time them, but you don't have to. Sometimes the end of these assessments can be untimed. And really sort of see the level of speed and accuracy that they have in understanding and solving those problems. So that gives you kind of the domain um, understanding around sort of numerical and financial information. The, the second piece, which I mentioned, which is about more generally the ability to problem solve, um, you know, quite often we would relate this to deductive and inductive reasoning. So, if you think about this notion of deductive reasoning where you start with a general assumption and then you apply some logic to reach a conclusion. So for example, uh, steady example, but you know all racing cars must go over eighty miles an hour. Um, a dodge charger is a racing car, therefore the car must go over eighty miles an hour. So that's you've applied you know deductive reasoning there, and that's quite often what you have to do when you're working with financial information. The other piece to that is, for example, inductive reasoning, where you get bits of data and you then broaden that out in, until you reach a, a general assumption or general conclusion. So, for example, when you're counting or you're doing, you're just sort of adding things up. That's what you're doing with with inductive reasoning. So, you know, it's it's if I was to sort of break it down in, in how you know individuals and teams can understand this skill a little bit better, I would say some level of understanding the domain, and then some level of understanding the ability to, to problem-solve.
0: I, I just love how you've uh, broken that, uh, what is a very difficult uh, uh, problem to solve, into really two component parts and getting at the assessment of the skill from, uh, from really two different angles. Uh, many people would look at financial literacy and think that it's, all about the numbers and all about the uh the, the 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 data and being able to build spreadsheets but it's the understanding and uh you know and uh, we've talked about storytelling as well uh previously in the show as another skill that's just absolutely essential so being able to assess uh cr- critical thinking critical thinking, critical reasoning, storytelling skills, all of that builds into that, uh, that portfolio of assessing uh, financial acumen, that's just awesome. What about business acumen? Uh, Business acumen is a bit more multifaceted than financial acumen. How would you advise our listeners to assess the acquisition of this key skill?
1: Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, Andy, I think it's a bit more multifaceted to sort of think about business acumen because, you know, people describe and think about that as, a, as, a, as quite a broad domain. So I think the first thing to think about is, you know, zeroing in on the aspect of business acumen that you would consider to be important. So for example, is it about understanding a business? Is it about understanding an industry or having some industry insights? Is it about sort of the more commercial side, negotiations, deals, et cetera? So the first piece I'd say is just figuring out kind of the right platform to understand more about how that skill relates in in your environment. And then, um, you know, we see a lot of digital tools that replicate a virtual environment to be able to practice those skills or to test those skills. So, for example, if you're, um, um, you know, kind of focused on the industry piece, There are ways in which you can kind of disseminate virtually um, using some tools or products, for example, um, industry um, trends, and then look to see how does the person interact with that information? What do they take away from it? What do they present back to you or kind of which information of those uh, pieces do they take to to problem solve? So there are ways in which we can uh, simulate the skills required from a business perspective once we know... um, once we know which aspects of those are important.
0: Yeah, Mina, excellent advice. We're, you know, we're going to take a really uh, short break for uh, a commercial message here, and we'll be right back with Mina Morris. Thanks for listening to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andrew Tempty. In my book, Balancing Act, teach Coach, mentor, inspire, I explore the characteristics required of leaders who must find balance between strength and vulnerability, confidence and selflessness, passion and measure, and leadership and followership. Balancing Act is available today at Amazon.com. We're back with Mina Morris in our special future skills uh, roundup. Uh, Mina, as, as it relates to data literacy, uh, l- you know, let's continue this conversation on how you would advise our listeners on the acquisition, uh, on assessing the acquisition of this skill. But uh, as as you formulate your answer there, l- let's uh, if you can also give some advice uh, to our listeners around getting past the fear uncertainty and doubt that invariably accompanies uh, the assessment of really any uh, any skill in a in a business environment uh, I, I would just love to hear your thoughts here
1: yeah and you know the word assessment can be quite scary for for a lot of people and um, it's something that kind of just elevates the anxiety around what are you going to do with this information? What does it mean for my job? You know, so there's there's always, um, you know, kind of a, a degree of uncertainty that comes with that. So, you know, the advice that we, that we usually sort of center on is um, think about this as any change management initiative within your organization. So how would you address that? You know, you'd be very clear on communication. You'd be very clear on intent. And, you know, there's sort of some practical things to think about. Like, for example, if you're doing it within an organization, we always say start at the top. So if you're running a program, for example, make it visible, make it clear that, you know, everybody in, in you know, in a certain business unit or a department is going through this process. And, you know, start with the leaders on top so they see that they've already been through this process. So it's not harmful. And then you sort of cascade it down. Um The other piece is just being very clear on communication. So, you know, what is the data that's being generated? Who owns it? Who gets to see it? What decisions are being made with it? So those are all kind of things that are kind of hygiene factors that help, uh, you know, reduce the level of stress or anxiety. And then I think the piece around sort of the reports and the data and the outcome just needs to be crystal clear, like who owns the results, like, you know, the reports, for example, do they go to the manager, do they go to HR, do they go to the individual? Uh, that process needs to just be worked through and be, be made very clear. So I think those elements from a change perspective are are, are critical to think about. Um, of course, there will be some resistance, so there's not kind of denying that. but yeah. I think you can really minimize the the noise and the um, and kind of you know gain a lot of buy-in if you if you follow some of those principles. Um, I think as maybe we, we switch to sort of thinking about specifically about you know data literacy, I think data is very interesting because I think we all have our experiences of working with data and our preferences. So some people are more visual, some people are more, you know, numerical, some people are more verbal. So I think when it comes to assessing and understanding data, maybe um, a piece to think about here is understanding what preferences individuals have and what types of data they like to work with, because that gives you a strong, you know, index to, to, to kind of anchor on, um. And we mentioned personality assessment and measurement a little bit earlier. That's actually a good way to think about data and how individuals work with data. Because there's also the preference of, for example, are you a big picture person or are you more of a detail-oriented person? If you're a big picture person, you know, you collect data and you want to see the overall trend. If you're more detail-oriented, you sort of want to dig into the details and understand, you know. Uh, more intricate kind of connection points. So as we think about data, I think it's important to sort of think more holistically about preferences um, and people's orientation towards that and acknowledging that, you know, there's no, sometimes there's no one right answer. There's probably just different requirements and different skills for for different jobs.
0: You know, as I've listened to you uh, talk about the assessment uh, design really for uh, all all three of those uh, skills, uh, the word thoughtful really comes to mind that it's not uh, some cookie cutter off the shelf. uh, You know, you can certainly do that. And I'm sure there are assessments that abound that are uh, cookie cutter off the shelf But you're really suggesting that uh, uh, quite a bit of of foresight, forethought uh, into the process uh, to really make sure that you don't just end up with garbage in, garbage out. Am I getting that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, you, you really want to spend time to think about not only kind of the approach, which is actually probably the easiest part of rolling out, you know, some of these aspects, but actually you know, stepping back and thinking, what is it that you want to measure? How is it that you're going to, you know, use that data and kind of make decisions based on that data? What is the experience that you want to put individuals through? So all of those pieces are, I would say, you know, just as important as the experience of sort of deploying an assessment process itself. Yeah. And you're right, you know, this just has to be a lot of thought that goes into
0: those aspects. Yeah, and if leadership is thoughtful about uh, assessment, uh, then uh, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt will be, and the anxiety will be tamped down. I would, I would imagine.
1: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Because you're clear on the purpose, right? So you're clear on why you're doing it, right? Um, and that kind of just shapes the whole uh, narrative around around the process.
0: Right. Right. So as someone who's played at the intersection of business and education, I I, I love to give advice uh, directly to educational leaders. Uh, What advice do you have for educational leaders in both secondary and post secondary institutions to improve uh, on the three skills that we're talking about here, financial acumen, business acumen, and data literacy?
1: Um. I think, you know, if I think about this, Andy, you know, there's there's sort of different ideas that come to mind, but I think, you know, something that I think a lot of your guests have spoken about previously is this idea of, you know, the, the, the half-life or the shelf-life of skills. So the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, we really need to um, educate ourselves and educate, you know, future generations around learning to learn. Um, and it's about this idea of, um, you know, the skills that you learn are going to be relevant for five years or if you look at the World Economic Forum or if you look at, you know, things coming out of like the software and, and kind of, um, you know, computer industry and technology industry, it's, it's under two years. So, you know, this ability to constantly immerse ourselves and, and, and kind of assess ourselves and kind of learn new skills is going to be really, really important. And with that, the, the sort of second thought that comes to mind is, is um, you know, I just call it the Netflix model, you know, Netflix knows what you want to watch next and they have their algorithm and they customize the content that you see based on your profile. And I think we really need to get to that as we think about education and training and, and some of the assessment thing, you know, aspects that we've spoken about relate to that. It's about personalization. It's about customization. It's about knowing that not one size fits all. And um, that's really, I think, a key aspect of it is, 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 is knowing who I am as a person, what my skills are, where I'm lacking, where I need to develop, what my aspirations are, and then putting in front of me uh, the right content that helps um, kind of uh, guide me on my journey and on my way.
0: I, uh, I can directly uh, attest to wanting uh, to deliver the Netflix model of education <laughs> in Later. my previous role, Ed uh, Kaplan. And it's, you know, that that level of predictability uh, yeah. in, an educate, in a set of educational journeys is a devilishly difficult uh, thing, problem to, to solve for. I know it's early 2023 when we're recording this, so we, we are making significant progress uh, in this regard, but, but it's still a tough problem to solve.
1: Yeah, and if you really sort of extend that, that logic of kind of that customization, what it really allows you to think about is how you democratize opportunity so, if you think about you know what organizations are thinking about, which is diversity, equity, inclusion um, if you think about that from an educational standpoint and you learn to spot someone's potential really early on and customize a learning program or we'll put in front of them learning content that's really you know helpful for them, that allows you to you know unleash and and and, and, and provide more opportunity to to more individuals right so it's a it's a it's a very powerful tool if you sort of really extract that line um, and, and think about it with the impact it could have for society. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, Mina, as we begin to wrap things up, uh, I'd I'd like to give you an opportunity to push back on my identification of human skill, financial acumen, business acumen and data literacy as top future facing skills. Uh, If you put your own top four list together, uh, would it contain anything different?
1: I mean, I think... um I think you've captured a lot of what organisations are feeling as very relevant from a future skills perspective. Um, maybe the only piece I'd add is if you double click on that human app, human skill element of it, we're sort of seeing two elements come to the fore as we you know as we sort of work with organisations to put future skills models in place. One element that keeps coming up is this idea of resilience and how do you build resilience within a workforce? How do you build that? You know, ability to sort of take knocks, um, look after your own well-being, bounce back, bounce forward. Um, so I think that element is just becoming so important because we know, you know, times are, you know, can be tough. We know that, you know, challenges are you know, 2023, as you said, you know, the world is not going to be, who knows, right, it's going to be unpredictable this year. So I think that ability to be resilient, especially on the back of the pandemic, is, is, is very important as a, as a, as a skill. Uh, the other piece that we see coming up quite a lot is curiosity and, um, you know, maybe we can relate that back to a human skill, but it's, a you know, about this idea of openness to learn, acquiring new skills, self-improvement and individuals that possess that skill seem to be doing and, and flourishing a lot more. So probably those two aspects to maybe, you know, add in the mix of, of what we think of.
0: Bravo. Those were ac- excellent uh, additions. Uh, totally unprompted uh, for the audience, by the way. But that, that, was, uh, that was just uh, perfect, Mina. Uh, so as we wrap things up, last question, what are you most excited about for your future uh, at Aon uh, Human Capital Solutions, Aon itself? And Mina Morris specifically, where are you headed next?
1: Well, you know, as you said, we're recording at the start of 2023, so it's going to be a very interesting year, I think. Um, you know, one of the things that we are really excited about is working with corporates to help them think about reskilling within corporates at scale. So that might be um, restructuring some of the roles, thinking about roles that are sunsetting, new age sort of roles of technologies that are coming up, and how to, you know, sort of transform the workforce to be able to have career pathways into those roles. So, you know, applying that Netflix model that, that we talked about. But that's really interesting because, it, you know, the old model that organisations used to have was, you know, we sort of hire and fire, and now they're realising that that's not just sustainable, especially in the current you know labour market in the US. So that that is very exciting to sort of work through that at scale with, with corporates. Um, the other piece that's exciting is thinking about the well-being and resilience piece that we that we've talked about. Aon is, is is focused on that space. We're developing a uh, a product that will come to market very shortly around um, sustainability and thinking about human impact and sustainability. So we're working to apply that um, within organisations, and so I'm excited about uh, about that. And you know, um, I think what's also sort of for personally for me really exciting is just seeing human capital issues now being very relevant for um, CEOs and top executives. I think for a long time it's been paid sort of lip service. But now, right. you know, if you you know, see a, an article on Forbes or an interview on Bloomberg or something, you know, you see CEOs talking quite pro- predominantly about human issues and human capital issues. So I think for me, that's just a very exciting, um, you know, transformation and journey that's going on.
0: Oh, thank you for that, Mina. And thank you for your uh, significant contributions uh, to our listeners and uh, and to the show. I'm very, very appreciative. Uh, my name is Andrew Tempe. Uh, this is the Balancing Act podcast. We're available on all the major uh, podcast services, as well as on YouTube. You can log on to YouTube and see our uh, see our wonderful faces. <laughs> Uh, live and in person Uh, so thank you all for joining us and again thank you Mina for being here please like, subscribe, rate and share the show thank you very much for having me